Matthew chapter 21. And when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word here today in the name of Jesus. And we praise you, Holy Spirit. You are the one who is the revealer of Jesus to us. You're the one who reveals the truth of the word of God to us. You reveal the secret things of God. And Lord, we just worship you and we praise you today, Lord Jesus. And we ask you to let us hear your voice and to teach us and show us the great and mighty things which we have not known in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord, that you have put each one of us, each one of these, your sons and your daughters, you have put them here for such a time as this. Do you know that? Do you know that you're here for a reason? There's a reason for you being here. And uh, whatever that reason and purpose is, God wants to reveal it to you and to bring it to pass. And um, so I really encourage you, you know, lift up your heads, lift up your heads and, and don't allow the enemy to drag you down. Don't allow the enemy to distract you because that's what happened here with these people. Some of them saw that Jesus, uh, who Jesus was, they saw in the spirit who he was and others uh, saw all that was going on around him and it made them crazy with anger and bitterness so much so that they started to plot to kill him. But anyway, just want to go back here. He came. Why did Jesus ask for a donkey? You know, this is something that's portrayed in, in much of the story of Jesus 
um, you know, that you'll hear regaled in the world. Oh, Jesus was very poor. He only had a donkey. And, you know, he only had sandals. And, you know, there's this this mindset, this poverty uh, mindset. But it's so much more than that. Um, the reason Jesus rode a donkey goes back to the Old Testament. When a king went out to war, he rode a horse. And that's why they're called war horses. But when a king would go to a place and would come in peace, he rode a donkey. And that's how the, the, um, wherever the king was going, that's how they recognized whether this king was coming in peace or was coming in war. And so Jesus rode this donkey. And, you know, I love the, the detail of God. Uh, God is always in the smallest of details. I think that's where you see his hand, his tender touch the most. And Jesus was very specific. There will be a colt and there will be a donkey there tied with the colt. The donkey was the mother of the colt. And he said, bring them. And somebody's going to ask you, what are you doing with them? And just tell him the Lord has need for them. And so, you know, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He did not come in breathing fire and judgment and wrath. Because Jesus said, I did not come to judge. I came to seek and to save the lost. And he came in peace. It's amazing that when Jesus was born, those angels that appeared to the shepherds, they, they proclaimed you know, uh, your Messiah has been born and he brings peace and goodwill to all men, to anyone who will receive him. And so he came in here on this donkey and he brought peace to those who would recognize him and acknowledge his kingship and receive him. But to those who didn't receive him and recognize his authority, he rumbled their cozy cartel and he turned the tables of corruption. And so he came uh, in warning and in judgment of God's wrath to them. You see, there was two different people here. There was the ones who recognized him and received him and acknowledged him. They laid their coats. That's, you know, that's such a, a symbol of, of humbling a person. They laid their coat for a donkey that was, uh, going, you know, riding over it. But they did it to, to honor the king. And um, the others, you know, in the, t in the city, they got angry and they, they rebuked Jesus and said, are you listening to what these, these kids are singing? You know, their, their anger and their offense had actually blinded them to the coming of the one who they were preaching about. They never even recognized him. And uh, this is something I believe, you know, going back to last week, I told you about that dream I had. Uh, and, you know, I just feel that... Be careful not to miss when Jesus is coming. Be careful not to miss when he's passing by. You wouldn't ever just check the door, is it? Uh, just sorry, thank you. And um, thanks very much. Um, so he came, he came in wrath to these ones that were abusing the temple. He overturned their tables, their money-changing tables, because their greed and their motivation for being in the temple was money and, and greed. And those ones who were selling doves, the dove is the symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So, and this is, you know, even today, and we are going to see it and we're going to see more of it, where the Lord is, is removing uh, the ones who have been peddling the gospel and peddling the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, they need to be careful. 
because there is judgment and wrath coming on that. And it's no harm. You know, I think it's something that, that has happened to, to many of us. And, and we've seen it at various times where the Lord has come in and upscuttled things. Because it's not until things are upscuttled that you can see what was actually underneath the tables anyway. And what was going on. And uh, it's the only time where Jesus, you know, was, was, was so angry that, that he, he, he caused and created damage and destruction. Because they had perverted the reason uh, for the temple. He said, "My God, God's house is to be uh, a house of prayer, and you have turned it into something, uh, something filthy and defiled. And you see, defilement cannot be where holiness is. Amen. Amen. So in Zechariah chapter nine. the last prophet or second last prophet in the Old Testament before Malachi and Matthew in Zechariah chapter 9 this is the account of um, you know Zechariah's prophecy of seeing uh, Jesus coming and um, of how God's people um, you know Oh, we're, we're, we, like what we were talking about last week about idolatry. It's amazing the things that people idolize. It's amazing the things that are idols uh, in people's lives and that the things that have been king in people's lives. But anyway, you can read it yourself after. But in, in Zechariah 9, 9, Re- Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, how many, how many hundreds of years had Zechariah prophesied that? At least 500, if not more, before Jesus came. You know, how stupid uh, people probably thought he was. What is he talking about? A donkey, a colt, a, a, you know, some fellow riding on a donkey. And yet, God fulfilled every word of the prophets. Mm -hmm. And he is still fulfilling them, and he will fulfill them. Because he watches over his word to make sure that it is performed. You know, because God never goes back on his word. And he said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and broken, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant. This is interesting. I will set your, prisoner, your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold and fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow and fitted the bow with Ephraim. Judah, uh, the word Judah means praise. And the word Ephraim means fruitfulness. And so God is saying here that he's going to turn things on their head. And he is going to to, uh, bring to pass his plans of freeing and setting free people from bondage. And he's going to use it, uh, you know, uh, through the power of praise and bring fruitfulness will be the the arrow that comes from that praise and, and deliverance. 
He raised up your sons, O Zion. Um, rouse up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, uh, and made you like the sword of the mighty man, the warrior. And then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The sovereign Lord will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend and shield his people, and he shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And uh, he goes on to say that he will save them in that day as the flock of his people. They will be like jewels of the crown, lifted like a banner over his land. You know what that means? It means they will sparkle. They will sparkle uh, so brightly over his land. He's talking here. Wherever you see him talking about Zion, he's talking about the one new man. He's talking about the church, the ecclesia, and uh, his people, not just his people, Israel, but the, the ones who are grafted in as well. And that's us. And he's saying that, uh, as he as he performs this, and as that King of Glory comes in, his people are going to shine and sparkle brighter. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, "You're sparkling. You're, sparkling. You're dazzling. You're dazzling. Come on and dazzle, for how great is His goodness and how great is His beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the women. So you know, grain there is is uh, reflective of the bread." What you make with grain, you make bread with it. And so Jesus said, I am the living bread came down from heaven. And new wine, the young women. Wine is symbolic of the spirit of God and of the, of the, of the kingdom of God, really. Because he said, you know, you need new wineskins for the new wine. And so you are the new wineskins. And you are carrying a very great and precious treasure. The, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of his blood and the power of his spirit. And uh, he wants to use you to shine and to uh, diminish the darkness. So this is why you have to maintain your composure and keep your eyes on him and not let what the enemy is doing to distract you. Don't get into agreement with the enemy. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You know, this is so important. Um, he went on to say here in, in chapter 10, and I know this is a lot of reading now, but you know, it's something you just need to, to understand. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Uh, he goes on about that he gives the showers and, and, and uh, the grass. For the idols speak delusion. Okay, so idols cause people to be deluded in their mind and deceived. Uh, the diviners envision lies. It causes people, when they get involved in, in stuff like that, it causes people to listen to the lies of the enemy. This is why we have to be careful that it is definitely God's voice we're listening to and not the voice of the enemy, that we haven't come under witchcraft or a spell. You know, Paul spoke about it in Galatians. He said, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? You know, so this, you know, they were... Uh, doing everything they thought, uh, you know, according to the word of God, and yet they had come under deception. And it's all because of idolatry. And I, I really can't stress enough to you, if you weren't here last week for that uh, teaching on the deaf and dumb spirit, to go back over it and, and, and go back over those scriptures. And, and, you know, because it is something I believe that is affecting uh, practically every family that I could see. There's, there's something to do with that. And it, it's a lot of why people are resisting the gospel. Because there is a, a spirit of idolatry, a deaf and dumb spirit that has attached itself to even bloodlines and family lines. 
and it is causing utter devastation. And it's time the Lord wants to set the captives free. Amen. Amen. And so the idols speak delusion, the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. So, you know, there's, there's dreams from God, but there's also false dreams. And that's why he says in the New Testament, you know, test the spirits. You know, we can't just uh, willy-nilly uh, speak out everything that we've seen because sometimes it's the enemy who's speaking to us and his voice has been much louder and more, uh, you know, more intimidating uh, than, than the, the voice of God. And um, he said, they comfort in vain and therefore the people wander their way like sheep. And again, you know, you've got this picture even in, in our world today, there are so many people and they're, they're like they're wandering. You know, they don't know where they're going. They're walking around in circles. They're, they're saying crazy things or doing crazy things. It's because they're being affected by unclean spirits that are operating through idolatry, idolatry lies and delusion. And uh, it's something that really needs to be renounced and broken off of people, off of families. And um, they are in trouble because there is no shepherd. They're oppressed is another um, translation there. So wherever you see oppression, it's, it's you know, linked with that. And he goes on to say about how God's anger is, is against them. And uh, he will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them his royal horse in the battle. So God has a plan for his children to uh, go into battle with the powers and principalities of darkness. And, you know, he says the battle is the Lord's. All we have to do is show up. But we are in a battle, and make no mistake about it, there is a war going on. And it's very important to be spiritually tuned in, uh, you know, with your authority and with the enemy's devices. And many years ago, I, I had a dream, and it was about how uh, people, even the church, uh, we're totally unaware of, of spiritual warfare and of how to take authority. And it, it was quite a chilling dream. But um, anyway, from him in verse 4 comes the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bow. And from him every ruler. Together they shall be like mighty men. Say so you're a mighty man. <laughs> you're a mighty woman. You're a warrior in battle. That's what you are. And, and, you know, God is using you to tread down our enemies. You see that? Who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets of, in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be overthrown, confounded, and put to shame. So you've got this picture here of God's people um, going out. And with God, when God is with them, they're overturning and confounding the plans of the enemy. And that's all because of, of this, you know, what we read there earlier, where the king is coming to you and he comes in humility. And, um, you know, it's one of the characteristics and nature of God. And where you see, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't know, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Am I, am I spiritually tuned in to know the, the, the right and the wrong? Well, the Lord says in Hebrews that by, by, um, by use um, that, gee, I'm after forgetting the scripture. By, what is it? Reason of use. 
we have learned to discern good from evil. And one thing is, is that anywhere you see pride operating, that is not God. And anywhere you see, um, and I'm talking about pride as in arrogance, you know, anywhere where there's arrogance operating, that is not of God. And anywhere where there is no peace, that is not of the Lord. Always, you know, when people are making decisions and stuff like that, they're saying, I don't know what to do. Well, you need to, to quieten down and humble yourself before the Lord and ask him for his wisdom and to let him show you his perspective. And when you uh, are making that decision, you go with the one that you have peace about. Because with the Lord, there's always going to be peace. And um, praise God. Uh, he goes on to say, he will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. So Judah, again, represents praise and the sons of God. It's the line of David. It's the line of Jesus. Uh, he will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. Joseph was the one who God used uh, to, to bring provision and to have enough stored up. You remember the story of Joseph? And, and Joseph's, both of Joseph's sons, um, Ephraim's m m mentioned there already, you know, the first son was called Manasseh, which means God has caused me to forget. So we, it's very important that we forget those things which are behind. You deal with them, you deal with the issues, whatever it is that has brought up, but then you, you release it and let it go. And then Ephraim was the second son of Joseph, and that word means fruitfulness. So in order to be fruitful, you have to deal with the stuff from the past and let it go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's saying, I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back because I will have mercy on them. They will be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like mighty warriors, and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad and be joyful. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle and signal for them and gather them. This is God's promise to you, that he will be with you no matter what the battle and that you will hear his voice and that he will provide for you and that he will... Um, you know, that he will, he will meet with you. As you praise him, he will provide for you and he will bring you back. He will have mercy on you. And that even your children uh, will see it and be glad and joyful, that there will be a generational blessing of joy that comes from this. Um, and, you know, that's something that I think really touches the Father's heart and it touches our hearts. You know, God is a tender father, compassionate. That's in Psalm 103. He's a tender father and so compassionate. And it's God's will and his, great, you know, his, his plan for all of your children uh, to come to know him and to live for him and to be protected and blessed by him. But it takes our getting into alignment with his word to make that happen. He says, I will whistle for them and gather them and I will redeem them and ransom them and they shall increase as they once increased. And that word there, I will redeem them. It means I will ransom them and release them. And, uh, you know, there are many people's children that are uh, caught in, in all kinds of bondage and all kinds of pain and problems. And God promises not only will he fill them with joy, but that he will 
you know, redeem all of the things that have happened in the past, the bad things. He will redeem them and bring good from them. And he will release them from that captivity. Amen. And uh, he goes on to say that uh, he will bring them back from the land of Egypt in verse 10. Egypt represents slavery. So anywhere where somebody has been living in slavery to a problem or to an issue or to a sickness or to whatever it is, something in the family, God has promised to bring, uh, to bring us out of that, just as he did with the people of Israel. Because everything that went on in the old covenant was a foreshadow, the word of God tells us, of the things for the new covenant. And so God brought his people out and he will bring us out and bring our children out yeah. and gather them from the land of Assyria. Okay, the Assyrians were the, the, the most, you know, um, they were the a superpower in those days. They were the first kind of world superpower. They were vicious and cruel. Uh, they were uh, plunderers. They, were, they destructed everywhere they went. They had advanced weaponry. You know, more so than other armies, they actually were the first ones. They started implementing iron in their weapons. Um, they, they had siege tactics. Uh, you, you talk about this in, in the, I know in the GAA, they talk about that, don't they? The, the swarming thing, isn't that a Northern Ireland kind of a tactic? I think that uh, the, some of the teams up there first... Well, I'm not sure now, am I saying that right? But anyway, I, I heard that one time. But this crowd, the Assyrians... That's what they did. They, they um, had tactics of war where they surrounded cities and they, they stayed there until they starved um, you know, the people out of it. They repeatedly attacked until the defences fell. Um, uh, you know, so that there was this bullying and intimidation. Well, God says that he will gather his people from that, that spirit of Assyria. And... Um, <coughs> He shall, in verse 11, he shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river Nile shall dry up. And then the pride of Assyria, that military cruelty, shall be brought down. And the scepter of Egypt, and you know, Egypt represents bondage. Egypt represents slavery and bondage. And so God is going to deal with that. And there are things where, where strongholds in people's lives where they have been held bound by all kinds of fear or torment or abuse or, or maybe poverty or, or, or brokenness from the past, um, terror or sickness or whatever it is. Those things have, have held people in, God's people. And, you know, these are the days that we are going to see the church arising, shining, sparkling and uh, allowing the nature and the character and the attributes of Jesus Christ to shine through us and we are going to see all of these things defeated before our very eyes Amen. and he's going to start in your own families with your own children he's going to start in the church and sometimes it may be that there's tables kicked over that there's things that are upscuttled and you say why is this happening but you know these things, the Lord always exposes the works of darkness. Amen. And he exposes the things that are traps and snares to people. And he will present them to them. And it's up to us, the decision that we make, whether we're going to say, okay, Lord, I see what you're showing me. And I ask you to forgive me. And I, I just renounce that. And, and I, I choose to leave that behind. Whatever it is, 
It can be arrogance, it can be pride, it can be fear, it can be uh, rejection, it can be all kinds of tormenting things that have tormented you. And there's a decision to be made. And, you know, the Lord, he is with you. The Lord, strong and mighty, he is invincible in battle. And it says in Romans chapter 8, you know, when God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? Think about that. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is with you, who shall you fear? Certainly not the enemy. And you know, it says in the word of God in Psalm 2, that God sits in the heavens and he laughs at the enemy. He laughs at the nations as they're, uh, you know, conducting themselves, thinking that they have it all together. You know, how foolish, how foolish for anybody to be standing on anything but the, the word of God. And so he is going to the pride of, of Assyria, this, this cruel spirit, this, this dominating, bullying, intimidating thing that has been tormenting God's people will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. The scepter in Egypt, it was, they used to call it the was. W-A-S, the was. And it was like a, maybe perhaps a walking stick. Um, uh, not Richard's walking stick now. <laughs> but uh, like a walking stick. And it had like the head of an animal on it. And um, praise God. And uh, it was a symbol of power, dominion. And it was an emblem of authority that was associated with the gods they served in Egypt. And the gods they served in, in Egypt were chaos, war, and death. They were three of, of, of them that were associated with this, with this scepter, with this rod. And if you think about it, you know, when people go through difficult things, they'll say something like, oh, the rod was on my back. You know, I felt the rod on my back where, where, where people feel beaten and beaten down. And, and that's to do with a rod. And um, uh, the was scepter of Egypt. Chaos was the god desert. War was the god set. And death was the, the god Anubis. And they were who they worshipped uh, through this thing. But the Lord says, the scepter of Egypt shall depart and be broken. So I will strengthen them in the Lord. And they shall walk up and down in his name. They shall live securely, says the Lord. That's God's promise to us. And uh, I just wanted to look, if that's okay with you, on the way back, Psalm 118, verse 6. Lord, this is just, I don't know, this is what the Lord was showing me anyway this week. And I hope it blesses you as what he's been showing me for myself. I think that, you know, we don't, we're not half as clued in into the war tactics of God and, and the, the, the authority that we have in spiritual warfare. And sometimes we think it, it has to be um, just take it instead of realizing that we have dominion and authority over these things. But in Psalm 118, verse 6, Psalm 118, verse 6. Oh, yeah, it's in this one. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can mere man do to me? The Lord is on my side. He is among them who, among those who help me. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
You know, God is our hiding place. And so often we have, have um, put our trust in men or put our trust in, in might uh, or power or, or, you know, wealth or whatever, status, intellect, education, these things. But very often those things have actually become idols. And any idol and any, any trust you put anywhere other than in God will always at some point leave you down. There, you know, there will be... Um, you know, there will be at times of, of just seeing through it and saying, oh, you know, why did I do that? The Lord is on your side. You do not need to fear. What can man do to you? He is among those. The Lord is on your side. He is among those who help you. And you will look in triumph on those who hate you. And um, all these people that we're reading about there, those Assyrians and, and the Egyptians, you know, they were the enemies of God's people. And God dealt with their enemies. I really feel a, a, a serious heaviness. In 2 Kings chapter 18, um, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. And God used him uh, to overpower and overcome the Assyrian army, uh, hostile army that came against um, Judah. It, they had already taken Israel. They had already taken the northern territory of Israel, which was, you know, the two kingdoms were divided, Israel and Judah. And they had come and they had surrounded Samaria uh, with that siege tactic of how they, they operated. And um, they had eventually taken it. And do you know why they had taken it? You can read it yourself later. I would encourage you. 2 Corinthians 17, 18, 19 is, is reading that really um, will open your eyes. The way they had uh, taken Samaria was because the people refused to listen to God, uh, to what he was telling them. Um, he says in, in chapter 17, he said, the covenant I made with you, you, you shall not forget. Uh, I told you, you shall not fear other gods, uh, but the Lord your God, you shall fear. And then he will rescue you from the hands of their enemies. But, however, they did not listen. But they acted in accordance with their, with their customs that they had picked up all these pagan customs of making all these false gods and idols. And um, that is the reason that they succumbed to the army of Assyria. But Hezekiah was ruling in the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is really, uh, I think it's beautiful to see this. In verse 3 it says, Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord. Um, in accordance with everything that David, his father and ancestor had done, he removed the high places of pagan worship. He broke down the images and the memorial stones and cut down the asherim. He also crushed to pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. For until those days, the Israelites had burned incense to it and it was called Nehushtan, a bronze sculpture. So, you know, even the thing that God had, had done for them, he had, he had got Moses to make that brand servant in the wilderness when they were being attacked by snakes. And what happened was, was after, after a while and after time of being in the, in the land, in the promised land, they actually started to worship that instead of worshiping God. And that's what an idol is. It's anything that will take your time and attention, your worship away from God. That's what an idol is. It's something that you will prioritize more than the word of God. 
Um, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying people. But anyway, look at this. In verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in and relied confidently on the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. That's a really high compliment God paid him. Why? For he clung to the Lord, in verse 6. Hezekiah clung to the Lord. He did not turn away from faithfully following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with Hezekiah. So there's such a difference there um, in, in chapter 18 from the end of chapter 17, where the people had been told, uh, you know, in the northern kingdom to worship only God and not serve those false gods. But they did not. And so they got, you know, plundered and destructed by the enemy. But Hezekiah clung to the Lord. You've got this picture of him just, you know, grabbing onto God and not, not letting go. Show me, Lord. Keep me, Lord. Protect me, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord. Show me what to do. And so in verse 7, the Lord was with Hezekiah and he was successful wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Israel and he refused to serve him. So the, or sorry, the king of Assyria, and he refused to serve him. So basically what happened was the king of Assyria sent a few of his commanders um, down to meet with uh, some of Hezekiah's representatives, and they started to, um, to uh, try and get uh, Hezekiah and his people to succumb and just surrender to Assyria and they said look we will um, carry you away to a great land we'll give you anything you want um, and uh, we look after you so like just give up now and save yourself the bother of some of you being killed and and you know whatever and um, uh, Hezekiah in the meantime had tried to pay him off but it didn't work he wanted, he wanted the land and he wanted, you see, that's what the enemy always wants. He wants territory and he wants dominion and he'll do anything he can, dirty tactics uh, to hold on to, to, his, to his dominion. And um, what happened was the, the, uh, the um, representative of the king of Assyria said to, um, the represent, to, to Hezekiah in verse 19, this is 2 Kings 18, 19. He said to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. You'll notice there that the king has a small K, even though he was calling himself a great king. What is the reason for this confidence that you have? You say they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now, on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? You can hear like this insidious, um, just cruel tone in this guy's voice and in what he's saying. And remember, this is how the enemy speaks. And make no mistake about it. Now, pay attention. You are relying on Egypt, 
on that staff of crushed reed. If a man leans on it, it will only go into his hand like a splinter and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust and rely on him. And you know, God had constantly spoken to his people to stop looking to Egypt for their help. And what he meant by that symbolically was, God tells us, his people, stop looking to the world for your help. Do not look to the world because the world will only give you a superficial help. He, he always tells his people that, look to me. And that's where your help will come from. And then this guy, this um, commander says to Hezekiah in verse 22, But if you tell me, we trust in and rely on the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship only before this altar in Jerusalem? This guy starts spouting lies. He starts saying, Hezekiah, didn't you cut down all those altars to this God you serve? You know, the, the devil is totally um, confused and deluded. And, and you hear this here because the, the high places and the altars that Hezekiah had cut down were the altars um, promoting Baal worship and, and the Asherah poles and all these things. He had cut them down. And um, now then, he says, make a bargain with my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if on your part you can put riders on them. So he's just being just so smarmy and, and um, condescending to Hezekiah here. How can you drive back even one official of the least of my master's servants? And uh, he says, now I have come up against this place to destroy it. Without, oh, sorry. Now have I come up against this place to destroy it without the Lord's approval? The Lord has said to me himself, Go up against this, this land and destroy it. This guy was not only an enemy of, of the people, but he was also a false prophet. And he was speaking out lies. And, you know, never more than now are we seeing even this same spirit of false prophets who are speaking out lies. And there are people who are being deceived left, right and center by them. And um, so... These guys anyway said to him, uh, Hezekiah's people, listen, will you just speak to us in your own Syrian Aramaic language because we understand it and do not speak to us with the Hebrew language, the Judean language in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. So they were saying, look, would you just speak to us in your own language? You don't, uh, because we don't want the ones who are on the wall to, to be contaminated by all the crap that's coming out of your mouth. And uh, so what he did, this, this uh, Assyrian commander, he said to them, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to say these things? Has he not sent me to the men who sit on the wall, who are doomed by the siege to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine along with you? So he was, you know, war is, is savage and brutal and dirty. And, and this guy certainly epitomized everything about that. And he was bringing these threats that, you know, there's just utter destruction and you're all going to end up, you know, in the... 
in, uh, in destruction because of this. And he stood up with a loud voice and he said in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to rescue you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in and rely on the Lord, saying the Lord will certainly rescue us, and this city of Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Surrender to me and come out to meet me and every man may eat from his own vine and fig tree and every man may drink the waters of his own well until I come and take you away to a land like your own land with new grain and new wine, a land of bread, vineyards, olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. So this, uh, this is what he presented them with this proposition uh, don't listen to your king because he's telling you lies. He's telling you to trust in this Lord, your God. What a load of cobblers, he was saying to them. Instead, what you need to do is give up and come over to my side and I will take you away um, and give you bread and, and olives and, and wine, uh, but in slavery. And, um, you know, you'll be able to live and I won't kill you. Okay? And then... Do not listen to Hezekiah because he's misleading you and inciting you, saying the Lord will rescue us. And then he goes on to, to really drive at home, just like the enemy. This is how the devil speaks into people's ears. Don't trust in God. He's not going to come true for you. Remember before when you were believing and praying for this and it didn't happen. This is what he starts with here. Where have any of the other gods of the nations that we have attacked, have, have any of them rescued them? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where's the god of Seraph and um, Hina and Eva? Uh, have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Have they? Who among the gods um, of the lands have rescued their lands from my hand? Uh, that the Lord would rescue Jerusalem from my hand. So he says, none of their gods have helped them. And your God's not going to help you either. So, you know, talk about kick a man when he's down. And really, you know, put the boot in. And listen. You know as well as I do. I don't know about you. You all look so innocent here again and your halos are shining. But I know that this is how the enemy speaks. This is how he speaks to people and he tries to break them. And this is what happens to people out there in the world. You see people committing suicide. You see people going off the rails and going into all kinds of problems, taking their comfort from drink or drugs or anything else that they can just numb their brains with. It's to shut out those voices of the enemy. And it's because he breaks them. Because if you have no foundation and if you have no grounding in the love of God and in the authority that you stand in, in the name of Jesus Christ, as him, as your savior, you have no hope. And you have no hope to, of defeating it. And this is why people are being defeated left, right and center. Amen. Amen. This is important reading. You need to know this. And uh, he goes on to say, uh, which one of these will rescue you uh, from my hand? And then in 36, but the people preferred to them. They did what they were told. They kept silent and they did not answer him for the king had commanded them. Hezekiah had commanded his people. If he speaks to ye, do not answer him. Do not get entangled with that because if you do, you start a tit for tat and you give the enemy, a, 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 you give him open door access to come in and strike you, you know, and, and, uh, and start up some kind of a, a religious argument or whatever and you're not going to win. So um, 
what happened? The representatives of Hezekiah, they said nothing. They kept their straight face. They turned around and they went back. And when they went into where the king was, Hezekiah, they tore their clothes and they started crying. They said, oh my God, you've no idea all the things he said. But we, we maintained our composure and we said nothing to him, just like you said. And... Um, Hezekiah himself tore his clothes. That's a symbol of humbling himself before the Lord. You know, he humbled himself and asked God, you know, what do you want me to do here? And he sent word to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. um, And uh, he said, you better help us and tell us what does the Lord, you know, um, he, he, he said here actually in um, verse 3, this is a day of distress and anxiety, of punishment and humiliation. Um, for children have come to the time of their birth and there is no strength to rescue them and deliver them. He said, you know, God has brought us this far and it's like that now we're going to fall at the very last fence and that there's no strength. It may be, though, that the Lord your God will hear all the words that this fellow has said to taunt and ridicule and defy the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. So offer a prayer for the remnant of his people that is left in Judah. You know, Hezekiah was in a really lonely place. He was really, really isolated because Israel had already succumbed. The the Northern Territory and the king there, they had already succumbed to, to this crowd. So they were completely surrounded. But, you know, it reminds me of that song by Michael W. Smith. Um, It looks like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know that song? And this is how we fight our battles. Well, this is what he did. He sent for the word of the Lord. And Isaiah answered in verse 6. And he said, say this to your master. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard. And this is something so important. You know, that the enemy uses words. Very often he can use words written in a letter. Uh, a solicitor's letter or, or some kind of thing from the bank saying come in and visit us we'd love to meet you you little <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> or, or whatever uh, it can be words uh, from a doctor uh, giving some kind of a deadly diagnosis and but the Lord says here you know don't be afraid of the words that you have heard because those words have reviled and blasphemed me And God promises, he says there, I'll put a spirit in him, he'll hear a rumor, he'll go back to his own land, and I'll make him fall by the sword there. And so, um, next thing, these guys came again, uh, the, the commanders from Assyria, they really wanted Jerusalem. And it's still the same today, you know. There is such a battle against Israel and against Jerusalem because it's where Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, is going to come back to. And it's in the devil's best interest to try and overrun that place with his people and and to get out God's people. But he will never have his way. And so that's why it's so important to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to pray for the nation of Israel and for the Jews all over the world. And I would especially encourage you, you know, I know that there's a lot of things being said about Ukraine and all that and the Ukrainians and all this kind of stuff going on there and the Russians. But I would really encourage you to pray because there's so many Jews in Ukraine and so many in Russia and you know that's what the enemy is doing ultimately he's trying to destroy God's people and he doesn't care how he does it or who he uses you know he'll always have some vessel who'll stand up and and take you know be used by the devil to try and bring destruction and these people came back again to Hezekiah uh, in verse 10 they wouldn't let up and they said do not let your God whom you rely on deceive you by saying Jerusalem shall not be handed over to the king of Assyria 
Listen, you have heard what the Assyrian kings have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations whom my forefathers destroyed rescue them? Uh, where are all these kings? They never rescued them. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the house, the temple of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And that's what we need to do. And that's why I always encourage you, whatever it is that the enemy is tormenting you with, whatever it is that he's, you know, whether it's a letter from the bank or from the doctor or whether it's stuff that's going on in your own mind and heart from the past, write it out. Talk to the Lord about it and spread it out before him and bring it before him. And this is what Hezekiah did. And he prayed before the Lord. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you alone are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. O Lord, bend down your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see. Hear the taunting words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to taunt and defy the living God and ridicule you. And it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have devastated the nations. This was a fact they had, but it wasn't the truth. The truth is, is that God was going to defend his nation and his people. Because those gods that those people were worshipping were not gods at all. They were false gods. And so it's so important for us to learn the truth and the, um, the understanding of the difference and to discern what is you know, the truth and what is a false god or what is an idol that has been built up. And there's plenty of them in this nation and plenty of them in our hearts, in, in, our, in our family lines and in, in our land. Plenty of them. And we have to, to identify them, renounce them and remove them and not succumb to the lies and taunts of the devil. Because he's, he is taunting and ridiculing the name of our God. And uh, so he went on uh, to pray. And also Isaiah then sent a message to him. And he said, I have heard your prayer in verse 20 regarding Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And he, he speaks to Sennacherib. I love that. And he says, you. <laughs> Whom have you taunted and blasphemed in verse 22? Against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? And through your though your messengers have taunted and defied the Lord and have boastfully said, you know, and, and all this he, he says about what, what Sennacherib has said. We've just read it there. And uh, he went on to say in 27, I love this. But I, the Lord, know you're sitting down, O Sennacherib. I know every movement you make. You think that, you're, that I am not relevant to you. I know all about you, inside and outside. You're going out and you're coming in. And you're raging against me. And because of your raging against me, because of your arrogance and your complacency, they have come up to my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back to Assyria by the way you came and this shall be a sign and he went on to give the sign and um, he told Hezekiah you know that you're, the, the remnant are going to take root and they're going to bear fruit he gave him a promise listen you're going to remain stable and you're actually going to bear fruit even in the midst of all this and uh, 
you know, God promises that he will not come to this city in verse 32. He will not shoot an arrow there, nor will he come before it with a shield, nor uh, throw a siege ramp against it. By the way he came is the same way he will return, and he will not come to this city, declares the Lord. And, you know, it was God declaring this. And today, as his church, we are to declare the things of God to the enemy. We're to declare to him, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. You will not have my children. You will not have my business. You will not uh, put me out of business or put me out of a job. You will not speak to me lies that I can't do this or I can't do that or I'll never achieve this. You're a liar, devil. And that's what God did. He declared the truth about the enemy and, and he expects us to do the same in order for us to receive our victory and to overcome everything the enemy has tried to to assault, intimidate, and block us with. Amen? And so in verse 34, he says, For I protect, this is God speaking, and he's speaking to the enemy. For I protect this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Don't you love that about God? He is so faithful. All these years after David had died, and he's still talking about him. Because David was a man after God's own heart. David wasn't a perfect person and, you know, none of us are perfect people. And we need to be very careful about that. And I would always encourage you, you know, don't ever put people up on a pedestal because there are no perfect people. All of us have been saved and washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. All of us have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. But, you know, God, uh, because David just ministered to him, it meant so much to the Lord. And like I said at the beginning, spend your time ministering to God. And he will fight your enemies for you. And he will bring you through. And uh, it came to pass that night in verse 35. That the angel of the Lord went forth and struck down 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. When the survivors got up early in the morning, behold, all 185,000 of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, left and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshipping in, in the temple of his God that one of his sons came in and killed him, just as God had prophesied. And, you know, he went home with his tail between his legs. And uh, one thing I also love about the Lord is, you know, the city of Nineveh, God sent Jonah there because God is a redeemer. And even though, you know, situations where, where people have, have acted, you know, uh, glorifying the enemy or, or, or obeying him or operating for him, God is always crying out and, and desiring uh, for their salvation. And we must do the same. We must never, you know, uh, gloat over our enemies, but always pray that they would repent in Jesus' name. Amen. And so isn't that mighty? That, uh, that God there, you know, he was the one who defeated. There was no way that the small territory of Judah could defeat an army of that size. And, the, and Hezekiah, um, Sennacherib knew that. And that's why he was so proud and arrogant and lifted up. But he hadn't bargained on this one thing. The fact that the God of, of, of uh, Hezekiah was the God who created the heavens and the earth. And there is no God but him. And all these other gods that he had thought, you know, the Lord had really set him up, or the enemy had set him up, I suppose, where all these other nations, he had defeated them because they were worshipping false gods and they had no strength and no power and they had no one standing for them. And it is the same for us today. 
We must make sure that we are properly aligned with the Lord, uh, you know, and obeying him and carrying out his will and not carrying out the will of the enemy and not bowing down before other gods and repenting of pride and arrogance and humbling ourselves before God because Jesus came to bring peace to those who will receive him and to those who will, you know, live their lives uh, glorifying him uh, and his image. Amen. We're made in his image and his likeness and we're to act and behave and live like Jesus. So I encourage you with that today and uh, pray, God, 